Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. Welcome to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, I'm sharing my lessons from folk dancing for music teachers. Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome to this slightly unusual episode, which is kicking off our Around the World theme this month. So it's an unusual theme in that it's not, it's it's quite loose, I guess. It's not so focused as we normally do. Last month we had business expansion, which is very specific. But this month I wanted to go a bit broader and literally go around the world. So we've got all sorts of exploration coming your way. And I'm going to kick it off with a podcast about folk dancing. Why am I talking about folk dancing? How strange. Well, I don't know if you know this yet, but I was your nightmare growing up. I'm that student you are frustrated by at the very least, because I had one bajillion activities that I participated in. I am that student that you lament about in Facebook groups, saying how if They could only just focus on piano. They would do so well because they'd be able to practice, but they literally have no time. Yes, that was me. I did everything. And I know you call those students overscheduled, but I was not overscheduled because that implies that someone else did it. I did it. I overscheduled myself, if you want to put it that way. But really, the truth is I wouldn't quit anything. And one of the many things that I would not quit was Irish dancing. I think I continued Irish dancing right through college, or at least through the first couple of years of college. So I did it for a long time. I think I started at age four, in fact. I wasn't particularly amazing at Irish dancing. I was sort of all right, but I enjoyed it and I stuck with it for a very long time, obviously. So Before we continue with my lessons that I learned through Irish dancing, because I believe I learned a lot from it, I want to note two things. First of all, I want to establish what type of Irish dancing I did. Because you may hear Irish dancing and think nothing, and that's fine. If you have a blank slate, don't worry about it. You may hear Irish dancing and think river dance. And if you're thinking that, you've sort of got the kind of right idea. But you may be in an area in Ireland or parts of the UK and US 
where you have Irish dancing near you. It's popular in random parts of the world, or not random, it's places where we emigrated to, right? But you may have the connotation of Irish dancing competitions. And if you're not familiar with these, Irish dancing competitions are about solo Irish dancing generally, or sometimes there's, you know, paired uh, versions. But you go along in some pretty, uh, pretty serious costumes. So performers generally wear a wig, at least the girls do. They wear a curly wig with a big headband that matches their dress. Most or at least a lot of them put on fake tan for the occasion and makeup often, even on young kids, so kind of like a beauty pageant, except it's not. It is about dancing. And then dresses that are come in like gold and neon colors and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't do any of that. <laughs> and if you if that sounds crazy to you, look up some pictures. Um, you'll see what it actually looks like. And if you did that growing up, there's no judgment for me. I just want to establish that that's not what I'm talking about. Because the type of Irish dancing I did was a little bit more traditional. Our costumes were definitely more traditional or at least understated, right? So for some groups, we wore just simple skirts and, and tops uh, with like a little Celtic thing on the waistband. Or we often wore dresses, but if dancers were joining us from other classes, other studios who did do these competitions, they had to wear their class dress for this, which meant the plain one. <laughs> so yeah, much plainer dresses, but the same kind of vibe as somewhere between that and river dance. So the soft shoes for the reels and jigs and that kind of thing, and then the hard shoes, which are the kind of like tap shoes, but a bit different. That is the type of Irish dancing I did. So now that that's out of the way, one more note. As you listen to this episode and my lessons from dancing, sure, take my lessons. That's great. I love it if you do that. But more than that, I want you to look at something in your life. I want you to use this as inspiration to look back at something you did growing up or recently or whatever. Maybe you're learning something right now. And think about what it's teaching you as a teacher. Because there's lessons for us to find everywhere if we look for them. So I hope that you'll use this as inspiration to look for your own lessons from your own life. So on with the first lesson. Culture. That's what I want to talk to you about. And I think this is maybe my biggest one. I learned so much about different cultures through Irish dancing. Because alongside not doing competitions and wearing more traditional dresses, we did cultural exchanges. We did folk dancing exchanges. So we would travel to somewhere. For example, my first trip was to Slovakia, right? So we went to a small town in Slovakia where they had a folk dancing group, a youth folk dancing group who were performing traditional dances from Slovakia. And so we would stay with families from this group. So it was like a homestay with, you know, partnered up with one of the dancers from there. We would stay with them every day and we would spend the days touring, doing some touristy things, but also performing in various different places. Um, and then often having social gatherings as well with just the other folk dancing group so that we could 
get to know each other, but also do folk dancing exchanges, essentially. We would teach them one of our dances, they would teach us one of theirs, and inevitably they would laugh at us because we were almost famous as we went along and as I met more and more countries, we became known for not being able to waltz. Basically, every other form of folk dancing in Europe uses the waltz as one of its basic steps. But Irish dancing is not like many other folk dances, and so we kind of couldn't do that. We have what we would call skips, which are in 3-4, but they're, you know, not a waltz. And they're done in a line. So I actually learned pretty quickly to waltz. I sort of taught myself. And I remember being complimented at one of these exchanges. Actually, this was a, a trip where we had lots of countries together because we did that too. And I remember them saying to me, starting to dance with one of the guys from the other groups and him saying to me, wow, you could actually waltz. And I said, yeah, thanks. He said, but you're Irish. So anyway, that was a running joke. But we would do these exchanges. We would learn each other's dances. And a lot of the time we were doing all of this, all this touring and everything through some muddling language, right? It depended on where we were, of course, and the families we were staying with. But these were often more rural areas. And sometimes the kid had a bit of English, but often the parents didn't. And sometimes even the kid, it depends on where you are, how strong the English language teaching is in a school. So we were communicating with a lot of sign language and different things and figuring stuff out, but still managing to make friends with all of these people. As corny as that sounds, we totally did. We made friends with all of these people and made really deep connections with people that we couldn't necessarily hold a conversation with. And we learned about little things that were different in our cultures like taking off your shoes at the door right that's not a thing in Ireland but it is in many other countries so we would have learned about little aspects like that and just different ways that people live now how this has carried through into my teaching I believe is number one the language communication I think learning to communicate in this way with limited vocabulary and constantly swapping out words quite young. I mean, my first trip, I was age 12. So that was definitely a new thing at that time, probably for me. But because I learned to do that quite young, I've always been very good at it. I can't say it's definitely from that, but I have to think it contributed. I've always been able to talk to people from other cultures, other countries, without people without a lot of English. And being able to find a way to communicate or understand what they meant and think things through laterally as to what they probably meant by that sentence, which was constructed in a different way than we would have done it in English. That kind of thing. Now, that can literally help me if I have students who English is not their first language or they struggle with communication in general. Maybe they're nonverbal. But it can also help in terms of communicating music concepts and thinking about different ways to say things, right? So I think that's a huge lesson. And also the more general cultural one. I work to be very open to all types of music and all different experiences that my students come in with. Not just because of the country they're from or their parents are from, but everyone comes from a different background. And being used to dealing with all different 
ways that people view the world, all the different experiences that they've had that have led up to this point, I think makes my studio more open now. My second lesson is about community. I didn't do a lot of sports or really anything else team-based growing up. But despite all my different activities, there's only really one of them, which was basketball, which was a team activity. Everything I did was pretty much a solo thing. Like even this Irish dancing, this isn't the group type of dancing. We did a bit of that for fun, but this is mostly solo steps. So you really, you might be in unison with others and you're working as a team that way, but you're performing a step on your own. Um, but other than this and basketball, I really had no other team things. And by the way, the basketball thing really doesn't count because I was on the B team. They created a B team just for us and I was terrible. I mean, you can beat me. I promise you. So folk dancing was really my place to experience being part of a team in some way and a community. Our group changed all the time because it was made up from our class which was you know more stable and it was the same people again and again but then we would combine with other classes for these trips because we didn't have enough with just our small little class so we would combine with these others from this trip and it was ever evolving but it always felt like a community it always felt like we would come together as a team for each trip and then in between occasionally and I got to experience that sense of being a team. You know, when you're performing on a stage as a group of 10 or 12 or 16 or whatever would fit on the stage, the larger stages, um, you're part of that group. You have a role to play and you have to go on time and all of these things that many other musicians get from bands and orchestras. As pianists, we don't often have that, and I didn't have that at all growing up. So this was my way to experience community and community performance specifically. And bringing community in my, into my studio is something I strive to do. I believe that our students are more likely to stick with music for the long term if they have an identity as a musician. And I think a community is a really good route to do that, focusing on bringing our students together and allowing to the experience the fact that they are not doing this alone, that other kids are going through the same things they are, that other people find it hard to practice or to work on certain aspects or other people enjoy the same pieces they do, learn the same pieces they are right now before them. All of these different ways of bringing students together, like my buddy lessons or group workshops, or the collaborative projects we do, allow students to experience this support and camaraderie and sense of being a part of something that they don't otherwise get often in piano lessons. The next thing I learned was about performance. You would think piano would have taught me about performance. I actually didn't perform in recitals and things like that until my third teacher, so I was age 14 or 15, something like that, when I transferred to that school and that's when I started performing in recitals but it was always a pretty tough experience and I think you can imagine if you came to it at that age if you had a student who's transferring to you at that age and they've never performed for other people and they you don't know this but they <laughs> don't even play what like to play when their family is home that's what I was like right I wanted it to 
just be my own little bubble. So I think I actually learned more about performance skills and being a performer from dancing because we did it more and also because it was talked about because we were on a stage and we were traveling to somewhere and representing our country. Like we were really told that that's what we were doing. So we were talked to about, yes, about dancing and taking it seriously and practicing and all of that, but also about smiling and looking like we wanted to be there and we're having a good time, right? Actually presenting ourselves a certain way. And that might come across wrong. I don't want it to sound like, oh, you should just smile through it or whatever. But you do need to show them that you're having a good time for them to have a good time. You need to put your audience at ease. And I feel like that's something I learned through dancing more than through piano. In piano, I was so focused on getting it right. But in dancing, yeah, I wanted to get it right and not mess up the steps. But the smiling and the, you know, enjoying ourselves was more reinforced on that stage than it ever was for me in music. The next lesson is about repetition. And this is one we can learn in both places for sure. We can learn repetition through music and we can learn it through dancing. But the thing I learned about repetition through dancing is about it being different every time and that being sort of okay, which might sound odd since our dance steps are so formulaic in a way, like they're so prescribed and we need to do them the same way again and again. But by performing the same numbers as it were the same dances again and again and it being different each time because of course it is you learn about the value in repetition not just for learning steps but for novelty for what new you can bring to it i think that's a huge lesson for music it's not about repeating it until you can get it right or can't get it wrong It's about repeating it and enjoying the repetition every time in a new way, finding new things within that. And my last lesson might be the one you're expecting me to start with if you've heard me talk about my dancing experience before, because that is rhythm. So I think, yes, dancing did teach me about rhythm because you have to move on time. But the big thing that tied directly into my music from dancing in terms of rhythm, or specifically meter. I only realized when this came up in exams, piano exams that is. So in our piano exams, at some level, I can't even remember what grade it is, but let's say grade six or whatever. So at grade six, you have to listen to a piece of music and identify certain things about it, including the time signature. And they give you a few options usually at the beginning and then it gets harder, etc. I always found this part easy because all I did was in my head, I imagined myself dancing. So I asked my, I remember at the start of this, thinking that this might work. And so I asked my dance teacher, "Uh, what time signature is a jig? Because I finally figured out that, oh yeah, these, these different dances we're doing they fit the different types of music we're doing because of time signatures right made that connection asked dancing teacher about that and she looked super perplexed at me uh, as if I should obviously already have realized this but anyway told me the time signature for each piece 
And I said, okay, great. So the next time I listened to these tests with my teacher to prepare for the exam, I tried it. I tried listening and imagining myself dancing a reel or a jig in my head. And it worked. It was magic. Now, that's not the only way to identify a time signature, but it's one way that my knowledge of rhythm became solidified through dancing and music together. The two things combined. So the direct way I bring this into my teaching is I literally get my students up and dancing. But I think there's a broader lesson here in terms of taking things out of the context they're in and putting them in a new one and allowing our student to make the connection between the two so that everything gets stronger in their learning and understanding. I understood time signatures kind of in piano and I understood different types of dances in dancing. And I guess I sort of got that they were in a way connected somehow, but I didn't get that they were one and the same until this experience, until I wanted to use it in this way. So having it in both different contexts is what gave me that durable understanding of, oh, this is what the feel of it is. This is how time signatures affect things. This is what meter is, right? So those are my lessons from dancing. It's time for your homework. Your one thing this week is to think about something in your life that could teach you something in your teaching. Try to do something totally outside of music. It can be anything at all, whether it's crochet or learning Spanish or anything else in your life. Think about something that could teach you a lesson for your music teaching and then maybe journal a few notes about what you learned from that thing that you can carry into your teaching. I would love to hear what you did growing up. What were your fun hobbies? Were you solely focused on music and that's how you became a much better performer than me? Or did you have all sorts of things going on just like me? I'd love to hear about your experiences and what you learned from them. Please leave them in the comments or find me on Instagram or Facebook and I'll chat to you there. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.